I do want to begin with a passage that Paul writes. And this is in the book of, of 1 Corinthians. But before I get there, I want to just kind of explain to you how I arrived at, at my theme or my topic this morning. So I simply just titled this morning, um, The Road to Somewhere. Right? Now, to me, this is a little bit contradictory. Because before Jesus, I would tell you, even times following Jesus... My life feels like it's the road to nowhere. Kind of wake up in the morning and, and, and life's kind of filled with this repetition. Right? And even in the promises of God, there's just kind of this echoing voice of the world. Like, what are you doing? Why does it matter? Right? And just feels like the road to nowhere. Because one of the <clears throat> complexities in life Right, is, is almost like, okay, your life is only measured by the immensity of the experiences you share. Right? It's only by your greatness. There's, there, absolutely, there's no, absolutely no glory of God when you're doing the dishes. This is not true. But we tend to think so. Or, or God's glory is absent when we have to get up at 6 a.m. and go to work. Somehow God's glory is absent when we're mowing the lawn, right? God's glory is only apparent when you're out on some adventure, when you're out doing something larger that's getting likes or getting hits or, 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 or somehow being posted or shared with the world in a way that kind of almost demonstrates that my life's just more exciting than yours. Right? And I want to remind us that the glory of God as a follower of Jesus is where you are and in what you're doing. Paul wrote, right? Whatever you do, do as unto the glory of God. How many of you are just the best dishwashers ever? Sarah's like, no, I don't worship the Lord very well this way. <laughs> right? And this is okay. Right? But did you know that you can worship the Lord when you're cleaning the house? See, sometimes I think, I think our, the, the, the way that we evaluate our life, the way we review our life, easily shifts or changes based on the measure or standard we use. Right? Typically, it's kind of how happy I am or, or, or uh, what thrill I get out of something or what type of internal physiological dopamine, right? whatever I experience. But it's interesting, and I'm going to get back to this, but in Galatians 5.22, I want to return to this. Right? These, these tools that I've talked about, love and joy and peace and patience, these are great tools to evaluate the health in your life, right? And, and so I just want to read this. Uh, um, and you touched on this. So I just looked this up just a few minutes ago, and it's really, really liked it. So the book of 1 Corinthians and Galatians, these are going to be the first books, um, sorry, second and third books, um, arguably, after uh, Thessalonians. But early, being er, er, most early written on Corinthians and uh, Galatians. And so I just kind of looked at why they're being written. And so I found this, and I really, really liked it. 
First Corinthians, here's just an introduction. What does spiritual freedom mean to new Christians? When everyone around you is caught up in, in immorality and you're bombarded with constant temptation, how do you stand for righteousness? And this fledging church, this young church in Corinth was floundering with these questions. As young believers, they were struggled to sort out their, their newfound faith while living in a city overtaken with corruption and idolatry. Wow, I'm so glad that the scriptures aren't relevant to the world we live in today. Wow, talk about meaningless, right? Okay, that was sarcasm. Sounds, sounds perfectly, sounds like it could be written for us today. What do you think? The Apostle Paul had planted the church in Corinth. Now, just a few years later, he was receiving questioning letters and reports of problems. And the church was troubled with division, lawsuits between believers and, and, and sins of all kinds and disorderly worship and spiritual immaturity. And Paul wrote this uncompromising letter to correct them, to answer their questions and instruct them in several areas. And he warned them not to be conformed to the world, but rather to live as godly examples, reflecting godliness in the midst of an immoral society. It's amazing, every time I read just even the small, smallest bits of passages and truths like this, I just want to go back and pray again. <laughs> so I want, to, I want to read this to you. This is 1 Corinthians 7. This is one of Paul's, this is argue, arguably his second letter written, so one of his, one of his early letters. And, and I just read to you. So imagine it being written and landing in the very culture which we are today. And it says this. This is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time... Time of his call, uncircumcised. Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor does uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Excuse me. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. For you, if you were a bondservant when called, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man in the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant to Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each one of you was called, let him remain with God. So I want to begin here because I'm thinking about this road. This road being this path and journey of our lives. Right, Trying to answer the big questions. Why are we here? What am I doing with my life? Why do I wake up in the morning? What's the purpose of my life? And, and the scripture is very, very clear. Prior to Jesus, you're on a road to nowhere. No matter how glorious or exciting your experiences you're, you're having, no matter how many contents you're touching down on, no matter how many people you're meeting, no matter how large your business, no matter what your income, 
The scriptures are very, very clear. You're on a road to nowhere. It was funny, I was scrolling through some news feed this morning. Maybe some of you saw it, but um, I read this uh, reflection, this post, and she recently, recently wrote a book, and um, she was uh, basically um, in a health crisis, um, and they basically gave her a 38% chance of living, and so they put her in a self-induced or medically-induced coma to see if they couldn't um, remedy the problem and heal her. And, and, and when she awoke from this, this coma, she explained that she had this, that this, this eternal experience where she stepped into the, the depths of hell and, and, and was, was randomly pulled out into the, the eternal aspects of heaven. And, and, and she basically declared that, that she just barely escaped the grasps of hell. So this clearly intrigued me. Right? And she wrote a book, and it's interesting because... In none of this writing is the name Jesus mentioned. None of this writing Jesus is mentioned. And it's so vexing for me because if you believe that you've escaped the clutches of hell and do not know the name Jesus, I want you to know you're still bound for this eternal darkness. You're still on this road to nowhere. This is what the Bible tells us. All right, this is what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. Through his nails and through the spear in his side, moving into the darkness, moving into the grave. He didn't just escape the clutches of death. He defeated it. And he came out on the other side. Right? And now we have direct access to the throne of God, but only through Jesus. There's no other way. I'm sorry. There is no other way. There is no other path. But see, when we understand and receive what Jesus has done, I want you to know that you're now on a path to somewhere. Now I pause and I hesitate here. Because <coughs> I think it's a more difficult truth to accept that you're on a path to somewhere. And I think it's easier to believe that you're on a path to nowhere. See, even though, and this is why the promises of God are so brilliant, because in Jesus, even though you think or feel you might be on a road to nowhere, you're going somewhere. That in Christ, it just doesn't matter how feeble your body is or how feeble your mind is or how feeble, right, or how weak your, your faith is. Because Jesus tethers us to him through the cross. And this is what's so brilliant about it. So even though you may feel at times, that you're still on a road to nowhere. Jesus promises you that you're on a road to somewhere. And this is so cool. But, but, we want to be in a place. The scriptures are about us. These guardrails, this guidance is about us gathering. Truth tellers around us to remind us that we are on a road to somewhere. Because it's easy to believe that you're on a road to nowhere. I find, unfortunately, many, many people who have met Jesus and still believe that they're on a road to nowhere. Because, well, let me explain why I believe this. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 13. 
find this passage absolutely brilliant. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. If you've been following along past couple months this summer, Barnabas, this great encourager, has left the uh, church and gone to seek out Saul. Now, Barnabas is known as this great encourager, and I think I know why. It's because he sees things in other people that people don't, that others don't typically see. Why do I say this? Because Saul has been rejected from... He's been distanced from the church as it's now beginning to grow. If you read Acts 9, Acts 11, it's obvious that they believe that Paul has come to know Jesus, that he had this life-changing experience. But in Acts 9, when they bring him back, his journey and, 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 and disruption in the faith, and it's just too young and too chaotic that they just can't welcome him in because they're afraid he's going to just bring all kinds of persecution. Now, I would suggest that the, the beliefs, the, the faith here is probably just scattered across the board. Some just deeply touched and amazed by, by what God has done in Saul's life and others who are just terrified, right? He's just trying to trick us to get in to persecute us. It's probably just this huge spectrum. And, and, and I think Paul just willingly acknowledges this. It's not good for me to be in communion with you all right now. So he goes, then he goes back, to his, goes back to Tarsus. But as time passes, as, as this, this persecution, this, this um, moment in time's life, these worst moments in, 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 in Saul's life, as, they, as he becomes distanced from them, Barnabas continues to see the miraculous work and the gifting that God's given him. So he goes to get him. And he's come back and, and he's now in communion with the church. And this is exactly where the story picks up. Paul, or Saul rather, is given the trust. And they have no doubt that he is in Christ. They have no doubt that Christ is working in him. And this is exactly where our story picks up, Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the, tet the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul. Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. 
But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and, verse 10, and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, and the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So, some guardrails, some insights here that I want to share with us. This passage of Scripture opens up with what I find a brilliant guardrail. It talks about who is gathered together here as part of the church. It's talking about those faithful individuals who are seeking and desiring to be in relationship with God and desiring to have right relationships with each other through the Lord. And they're willing to do it at all sacrificial levels. They're willing to to fast. They're willing to pray. They're willing to be together. They've set apart any other busyness in their schedule to make priority for communion with God and for with each other. Now, first off, I want you to know that this is, this is a very, very simple guide rail that the world rejects today. Because it's called being the church. It's called recognizing. This is, this is the key point. Select for yourself people who love the Lord more than you do, as much as you do, as much as you want to. And gather with them and gather around them. Gather around you people who believe in you, who believe what God's doing in you and will send you down the road and the path that God has for you. Why is this important? Because we're going to see later on in this passage, we're going to see these individuals in the world, these these bar Jesus. Now, I want you to know, have you ever met someone? I love this. Anytime I meet someone named Park, I just feel like they deserve my attention. Because <laughs> I know a Park, and I like a Park. So if your name is Park, I just want to meet you. Oh, I know another Park. I have a good experience with a Park. Where are you from? What do you do? Right? Have you ever experienced this? Oh, I have, I, have, I have this friend in my life. So if you're named after that friend, that's talks. I want to get to know you. Right? Well, I love Jesus. Oh, here's, a, here's someone named Bar Jesus, who's, who's a truth seeker. It says this. He's a truth seeker. Actually, has has the same name of the truthful one that you're seeking. But he's a man of deception. Now, I want to be clear here. People who are deceivers don't know that they're deceiving. Okay? The truth seekers that I meet in my life that are out seeking the truth think they're telling you the truth. So even when Paul says, listen, you, you, you person of lies, you person, you know, villainy, he uses these harsh words. I think this is very, this is, this is very confronting language. 
and even probably offensive to this individual named Bar Jesus. What are you talking about? I, I, I'm a truth seeker. You're, you're the liar. Have you ever noticed how, how our society and throughout cultures throughout the world that, that Christians cannot be trusted? Christians need to be persecuted. We need to eliminate God from the world. Right? Sometimes, sometimes the bad guys think they're the good guys. And sometimes the good guys are the bad guys. And so this is why Acts 13 begins in this brilliant way. They're gathered together and they have one thing drawing them together. And it's as I told you when I began my talk, it's Jesus. And it's the truth. And gathering yourself around people who, who believe in Jesus. See, this is what's really, really interesting. When you gather yourself around people who believe in Jesus, I want you to know that these people are also going to believe in you. Because God gives us each other the ability to see what God's doing in each other's lives. Have you noticed that? Right? When we move past the, the envy of the world, right? Oh, wow, you know, I've been hearing about this person's life. Man, I wish my life could be like that. Right? When we move past the envy, when we move past the, the, the darkness, the villainy in our own souls, we actually begin to celebrate the lives of others around us. See, I just don't have enough time to do everything that I want in my life. It's funny, uh, Dwayne brought up about Yuna's, Yuna's flight um, at the airport. So we had an opportunity. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we dropped her off at the airport, and, and we just kind of randomly and awkwardly hung around until they invited us out to see the airplane, you know, which they did. You know, and we kind of went out, and, and we're just kind of there standing on the tarmac and talking, and the pilot said, oh, I'll take you and your son sometime, you know, which was probably my ulterior goal in the, in the beginning, <laughs> right? And this is what Sharon, Sharon was saying, well, you know, if we don't, if you don't meet them, you know, they'll never invite you, right? So you kind of have to just linger, just kind of be, you know? And we were there, and, and I'm just thinking, you know, I think I want to get my pilot's license. You know, I told Sharon, she's like, she's like, why? You know, and I'm like, because I've done everything else. Because <laughs> I've done everything else. Now, this is not true. I've not done everything, right? I've not accomplished, there's millions of things that you've done that I haven't. So I'm not trying to compare. I'm just simply saying that there's some things that I don't need to do because you've done them. I've got to enjoy my life through you, right? There's some things that I'm just not created to do. At my height, my age, my strength, there's certain things I'm just never going to do. And not only that, but you, please go do it. You know, what I didn't, what I didn't tell you, I hope that's okay, what I didn't tell you about the story was I was telling Dwayne about us going, and Dwayne's like, can I come along? <laughs> you know, Dwayne knows the art of lingering. Right? How do I get into lingering? How do I just kind of get, you know, into this space? And this is, I think this is what community is. It's, it's, it's enjoying each other's lives. 
It's enjoying that, you know, I, I, I'm never going to have the, the insatiable curiosity and imagination that Dave has. Amen? <laughs> right now, Dave isn't in the room, okay? Right now, Dave is not in the room. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, but we do not collectively have the imagination that Dave has. It's like when God was giving out imagination, Dave just stayed in the same line over and over and over and over again. Absolutely brilliant. And if you can't see God's hand in this, right? I, that's just not what God's given me to do, right? I have a different calling. The road to somewhere begins with the people that you gather around you. The road to somewhere begins with the people that you gather around you. What do I mean by that? Now, clearly, the destination is determined in Christ. Our destination is in eternity. Eternity. Call it heaven, what you will. I call it eternity because heaven's too small. I don't know what eternity looks like, but I know this, that there's eternal amounts of imagination. Our collective, sorry, Dave, I'm sure I'm embarrassing you. Our collective imagination compared to Dave's, I think, is a drop in the bucket. But I want you to know that Dave's imagination compared to God's imagination is a drop in the bucket. See, to me, eternity is this place where, where love exists in, in eternal qualities. Where patience and, 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 and adventure and imagination and perfect relationship is in, in eternal qualities. Just bottomless. See, I, I'm a finite creature. I can't imagine this. But I can tell you how I feel when I compare my imagination to Dave's. Which is why it's so important that we have each other. And we understand the giver and the creator of all this resource. So the destination I want you to know is clearly eternity. That, that Christ, in his work on the cross, he's forgiven us. And he's created. He said, he said, behold, I go to create a place for you. Did he not? Right? And, it, and he says this, right? As if, we're, as if we don't believe him. What did he say? Behold, I go to create a place for you. And what else? What else? If it were not so, I would have told you. Right? This is like one of those father-son conversations. Listen, I'm leaving, but I want you to know that where I'm going, you're, I'm going to come back for you. And if it weren't so, I would have told you. Right? These are those awkward conversations that if it weren't true, you just never have. You know? You just never bring up. It's funny. When I'm training and um, learning from my, from my martial arts teacher, I'm always asking questions. As soon as we begin a training, he always begins by saying, does anyone have any questions? Nick. <laughs> right? It's always, Nick, do you have any questions? You know, so much. I'm that annoying child in the room who's always has something to question. Right? But here's, here's, here's what's interesting, though. I don't ask the questions for me. I ask the questions because I don't want someone to ask me a question I don't know. I look around my room and I'm like, I'm afraid he's going to ask me that question. And I don't know what Sifu would say. So I'm going to go ask him because I want to make sure I have an answer ready for this guy. <coughs> right? 
Our destination isn't just eternity. This is where I'm going with this. It's not just that, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us and that he's truthful in telling us that he's coming back. But I want you to know that Jesus' work on the cross is actually for us to step into life right here and right now. That our destination changes from the road to nowhere to the road to somewhere. And this road to somewhere begins by being recognized and identified and lived out by the people that you gather around you. If you continue to gather around yourself, people that don't know Jesus, people who don't know the truth, people who don't know where they're going, please don't ever listen to when they, to when they give you directions. Do not receive directions from people who are lost. Okay? Simply put, do not, get, do not go for it, get advice from people who do not know where they're going. But gather around yourself people who not only see and know you and do life with you, but actually see and know what God's doing in your life. See, Paul and Barnabas are surrounded by people in this prayer and in this fasting. The others recognize what God's doing. I can't even tell you when we get together, I can't even tell you. There is not a single individual in this room, and I'm being extremely honest, that your name has not come up among the leadership when we talk about and we see and praise the Lord for what he's doing in your life. When we think about you and we pray about you. Even those who are not with us, who continue to, to disbelieve that they're on a road to somewhere, who continue to walk down the path to nowhere. In this room are people who see that God has a road somewhere for you. Not just eternal, but here and now, the path of life. So do this. Please make sure you're gathering around yourself people who love you, who see what God's doing in your life, who want to send you out. And not only people who will send you out, but people who will go with you. Now listen. Paul... Barnabas and Saul are going to be sent out by these individuals. They're not going to go with them physically, but they are going with them spiritually. See, they're sending them out. And this is, listen, when you're making, when you understand what Jesus is doing in your life, you're no longer committed just to God himself. You're committed to the people who believe in you. Right? When, when, when people, when someone who loans you money in the Lord is doing so because they believe that God wants you to do something. They believe that, that you can, in the Lord, do something with that gift that's given. We are held accountable to each other. See, Barnabas and Saul, they're going out, and they're, they have people who love them in Christ going with them. So they know if they reject and fail at what the Lord has them to do, they're also failing those that sent them. And they don't want to do that. Now, I'm not saying, I know some of you are hearing this word fail, right? Oh, I just, I'm always failing. No, I'm not talking about mistakes. I'm not talking about temptations. I'm not talking about hardships. I'm simply talking about quitting. I'm talking about choosing a different direction than what the Lord has for us. I was reading, where did this pop up? I guess this was also on a feed somewhere. 
it was this great little analogy of a, a missionary who, who sat down with a, a rural farmer. And as he sat down, they, the farmer was, was asked to pray as this was his home and this was his, his, his life. And, 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 and the farmer began to pray and he just started, started praying and say, you know what, God, I don't like, I don't like uh, unbleached flour. No. You know, the missionary's like, this is the most awkward prayer I've ever heard. Right? And the farmer continues, you know, don't much like unre- unrefined sugar either. You know, don't much like, and the, and, the, and the farmer keeps going down the list, you know, I don't like much of this. You know, but then he does, at the end he says, but you know what, God, I do love freshly baked cookies. I do like freshly baked bread. And it was in that moment that the missionary kind of realized what he was saying. So often in our times we'll be encountering things that we don't like, but we know that God's baking up something fantastic in your life. Because he is. And this is what Paul or Barnabas and Saul know. That they're going out and those that are sending, that are sending them are coming along. That their call is, is it's a high call. Right? It's why it matters the way... The, the, to me, it's why it matters why chores matter at home when no one's looking at it. It's why it matters. It's why it matters that, that, that our call to faithfulness, our call to, to, to serving the Lord with everything in us is important because this is exactly what's going to happen. Paul, keep getting this backwards, Barnabas and Saul are going to leave. They're going to land on the island of Cyprus. And they're going to move through this journey. And, and, and it says they're going to land on one end. And they're going to travel. If you've looked at the, the, the geographics of Cyprus. I'm on Cyprus, right? Right, Justin? Yes? So he's gonna, they're going to travel across the island of Cyprus, which I want you to know is 140 miles. Someone do the math for me. How quickly can we cover 140 miles by car? I always look at Chuck for the math. 60 miles per hour. Okay, we can do it. Right. Yeah, traffic. We got traffic. We got street lights. Right. If we're doing during here, we got people crossing the street with their goats. Right. So it's gonna. We got some hindrances. They're walking it. They're wa- They're gonna walk. You know, 140 miles. And they're gonna declare the gospel, Jesus Christ, along the way. They recognize this is their calling. This is, what's, this is what is being expected. This is their task. This is their passion. This is what's been laid on their heart, and they're going to do so. And it's curious to me that what Luke writes about here is what happens when they reach the very end of the trip. Now listen, if I'm going to Cyprus, right, I'm going to visit the, I'm going to visit the first church on the East Coast. I'm going to travel a couple hours, maybe... You know, maybe visit a couple. I'm going to enjoy, you know, the new restaurants downtown. You know, I'm going to tell my friends about this. By the time I get to the West Coast, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm looking for the ferry. I'm looking, you know, it was great being here. But their greatest conflict, or at least the conflict they want to share with us, comes on the last day of their trip. And this is what I want to point out to you. 
temptation and struggle is going to, is going to last to the very, very end, end of your journey. You are going to be tempted and lied to and distracted and criticized and, 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 and discouraged all the way to the very end of your trip. But Barnabas and Saul know what they're doing and they know where they're going. Now listen, what I want to point out here, this bar Jesus who shows up in this last recorded conversation for us here on the island of Cyprus is characterized by a conversation of lies. This bar Jesus is, 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 has got, captured the ear of this proconsul, this, this elevated individual, this man of intelligence, this man, this, this ruling individual, who is a truth seeker, and he's filled his life with someone who tells him lies. And I love Paul's words. Uh, if you write anything down, I'm going to encourage you to do this. If you have this in front of you before you get to me, feel free to read them. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteous, 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 righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? This is written for us on the very, very last day of Paul's journey, but I want you to know I think, it's ingrained into, I think it's ingrained into his soul. I think he's been saying it out loud for, for the past 140 miles. I think he's been saying it in the stillness of, of the night. I think it's been loud and clear in the depths of his soul. Because here's what I've learned from the 50 years of my life. Of all the liars that have been surrounded in my life, all the liars that I've experienced, there's none greater than me myself. The lies that sneak into my soul when I'm sleeping, the, the, the lies that tell me that I'm on a road to nowhere, the lies that tell me that I don't want to do this, the discouragement that I feel when I feel a lack of peace, when I feel all these things, these are all lies. I go back to Galatians 5.22, these tools, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. My friends, if you don't have peace, you're being lied to this morning. You're believing lies. If you don't feel and are aware and are embracing the love of God in your life, you are listening to lies in your life. If you feel that you're on a road to nowhere, you're listening to lies in your life. And there's only one profound phrase which needs to be uttered. You son of the devil. Claiming and recognizing that the enemy, Satan, has no voice in our lives. And when you don't have those words, Dwayne is absolutely right. The name of Jesus will do. The enemy will flee at the name of Jesus. This proconsul has surrounded himself by a voice of a liar 
And he doesn't know the difference until Paul arrives and starts telling him the truth. And this is, the battle's gonna, the battle will be to the very end of our journey, friends. If not external, I promise it'll be internal. And people with the right name, the right sounding name, people with the right credentials, people with the right dressing, the right car, the right home, the right job, the right friends, you name it. All of these individuals, if they don't know Jesus, they're just speaking lies in your life. And in this moment, in this moment, Paul speaks, Saul speaks truth. And he says to Bar Jesus, what does he say? He basically says, go physically experience the life you're actually living. See, Bar Jesus is, is, is someone who thinks he's seeking the truth, thinks he's giving the truth, but he's just living in lies. And Paul simply says, you now live in darkness. You're now going to live in the very reality that you've created for yourself. See, when we're on a road, when we're living out our lives, I want you to know that the people that we surround ourselves with, the choices that we make, the calling that we step into, which is a road to somewhere, Right? You have reason. We have reason to wake up today to serve the people next to us, to be kind to the people next to us, to love the people that God's put in our lives, to speak truth. You don't necessarily have to travel to Cyprus to understand your calling. But here's the reality. One day, no matter how much you believe that that No matter how deeply committed you are in your opinion that your truth is, is your truth and it's enough, one day your belief system will become your reality. See, this Bar Jesus, this, I don't remember his other name, this Bar Jesus, Paul's not doing anything that's not, hasn't already happened. He's not, he's not suggesting anything. He's just accelerating it. He speaks into it, and, and, and in this moment, my friends, I want you to know, this is not a miracle. This is a tragedy. And this, this I believe in this moment, see, this bar Jesus, only God knows, right? This goes back to your God hardening Pharaoh's heart. At some point in our lives, God's grace ends. And for Elemis, that moment is now. Now, I'm going to go one step further and say, we don't know what happens to him. I'd like to believe that, that the words of truth, that the gospel of Jesus actually saves him also. Wouldn't it be amazing meeting Elemis in eternity? What a great, what a great weekend publication or weekend interview. What do you think? Right? But I don't want to end the story there. I want to end the story with this, with this proconsul. Because it says very clearly, he says, that when this happened, he believed. But I want to point out to you the, the word here. Because it's very powerful. Verse 12, the proconsul, he believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. There's two things happening here. But there's only one thing changing the proconsul's life, and it's Jesus. He was astonished at what happened 
to the man full of lies. He was, he was terrified. Pick your word. He was, he was, it was clearly this life-changing moment. But his life change happened when he was astonished at the teaching of Jesus. This word teaching isn't, a, isn't, isn't the word teaching used for miracle, isn't used for the word of blindness. It's not that the man lost his sight, that the proconsul was like, oh, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. He did so because the gospel had power and enough to change his life. See, there's two reasons. There's two reasons being presented here of why the proconsul follows Jesus. One, because he's afraid of darkness. He's afraid of lies. He's afraid of darkness. He's afraid of losing his sight. Look what happened. He's afraid of judgment. How many of us moved into a relationship with Christ because of that? Right? Don't show your hands. I did. I, I, was, ter- I was terrified of the judgment of the Lord. So that moved me into the gospel. That's not what's happening here with the proconsul. He's moving into a relationship with the Lord because of the teaching, because of the doctrine, because of who Jesus is. The power of the gospel, the power of the love of someone who would leave eternity, step into the human reality, go through the, 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 the pain and <coughs> agony of taking on and defeating and overcoming the only battle that you and I can't, <coughs> the battle against death itself, rising and conquering so that you and I can be fully alive. This is why the proconsul chose Jesus. That's why he gave up a, a life and road to nowhere, exchanged it for a life and a road to somewhere. Because in Jesus, our lives have meaning and purpose. And every piece of worship, no matter how we worship, I want you to know, the worship that you give the Lord doesn't have a rating on it. Doing dishes isn't like plus one, you know, and playing worship like plus ten. It's not like that, right? It isn't. Worshiping the Lord, demonstrating the glory of the Lord, is unspeakable in its vast declaration that where the glory of the Lord is. Right? Find for yourself, gather around yourself people who know the Lord, people who love the Lord, people who love you, people who see the love of the Lord in you, who will send you out, send you and help you understand what your calling is, where to go and go with you. Understand that our calling isn't just to God himself, but it's to each other. And finally, understand that there's going to be a battle we're going to face every single day in our lives along the way. We need to understand the des- we have, need to understand our destination. We need to understand our calling. We need to understand these, these guardrails. We need to arrive and abide in the name of Jesus.